Welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 113, part one of the talk given by Andy Croft entitled A New Move of God. great pleasure to introduce our next speaker, uh, Mr. Andy Croft, who uh, some of you will know very well, so maybe some of the younger people in the congregation, uh, because Andy um, works, he heads up with Mike Pilavachi Soul Survivor Church in Watford, and uh, that is a church that has a huge festival, the Soul Survivor Festival and the Momentum Festival uh, in the summer, where they have 28,000, is that right? Roundabout, approximately, 28,000 young people come every year over three weeks. Is it three weeks? Four weeks, sorry, four weeks, uh, which is just amazing and uh, I've had the privilege of going down there when I was looking at the development with Sam uh, of release she and I were invited to go down there for a day and I was just blown away at the work that they're doing particularly to uh, the unchurched they have such an incredible way of reaching out to those who would never imagine going to anything like that before um, so it, it's, I just feel we have an awful lot to learn uh, from what they're doing and how they're doing it. And this is a key part of our ministry because as we're growing and the, the regionals are growing, we're having more and more young people come and it is fantastic for us. Um, Andy is a deacon and he will be a priest next year. Something about, you know what they say about how police officers get younger. <laughs> well, I think it could be the same. It's obviously to do with the fact I'm getting much, much older. Um, and so we just want to learn from what they're doing and how they're doing it. And uh, so if you'd like to welcome him and then come up and we'll pray for him. Actually, Joe, would you come and pray too, Joe's, Joel's bar leader? So that would be great. Come on, let's welcome him with a... Let's pray. Come, Lord God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Andy. I thank you for all the great work that you're doing in his life. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come and fall afresh on him. We ask for a complete overflowing as he gives this talk to us today. Be in his words, Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to receive from you. May we be drawn closer to you, God, this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, bless you. Amen. Do you want, I might, yeah, is that all right? Um, well, just to say, it's a real, it's a real privilege. I'm going to just lower this one sec. It's a real privilege for me to be here, and um, I think you're right about, uh, I did a funeral, the first funeral I've ever done, 
just before Christmas, and I didn't know the family. And when I came out from, you know, where you come out from, wearing my surplus, they were like, who the heck is this guy? Because I think they thought I was about 12 years old. I do look even younger when I'm wearing a white dress. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I thought I would just start by sharing just a small amount of my story. And uh, um, basically, I, I grew up in a Christian home up in the north of England in Durham. And uh, I, I, my, my parents went to quite a traditional church. And when I was um, 13 years old, I sort of thought this doesn't make lots of sense to me. So I, I didn't exactly rebel, but I drifted away from God. And I would carry on going um, to church because my mom and dad wanted me to. But I really drifted away from God. Um, I never really formed a, a relationship of my own with him. And then uh, I started when I was about 16. So obviously, when you're a teenager, you just do things that teenage boys do. And, uh, and then um, when I was about 16 years old, my uh, friend of mine called Paddy asked me to go to this Christian youth event in Newcastle run by Youth for Christ, which I didn't really want to go to, but I felt sorry for him. So I went along and <laughs> I, uh, I remember going month after month after month to this thing. It was a monthly event. And there wasn't, for me, there never, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, there was never a moment where um, I became a Christian. It sort of just happened. And uh, I think C.S. Lewis says, for some people, it's like a light switch comes on and you know the instant. I think the way he describes it is like you're on a train interrailing in Europe or something. And, you, you know, for some people, you're awake the moment you cross from France to Germany. And for other people, you're asleep the moment you cross from France to Germany. And after a little while in Germany, you wake up and you think, oh, these trees look a little bit more German. I must be uh, somewhere else. And for, for me, it was that thing of uh, I, I gradually began to change the way that I was behaving and uh, the things that I was doing in my relationships and stuff like that. And I thought, oh... I must have become a Christian because why else would I be making these decisions? And um, and by the time I uh, by the time I was 16 or so, I'd made a number of calls in my life, things that I decided to do that I thought would be a good idea. So there was one time when I got um, dumped by a girl that I was going out with, and uh, ever been dumped? Like not fun. So I remember feeling really quite hurt by that, and I decided that I was never gonna. I'd consciously decided I was never going to let anyone hurt me ever again. And so I, uh, what you do, although I didn't realise I was doing it, I see it now, but what you do is you put on armour and you get a bit tough and you, um, you don't let people in. And so I was very, I was very friendly, but I was, uh, never let anyone inside what was going on. And then when I was 17 years old, I went to a, a little festival, again run by Youth of Christ, called Harvest. And um, I was in Harvest, I was at Harvest, and I remember walking to this uh, this loaves and fishes tent you know these Christian names we have the loaves and fishes tent where we got food and uh, <laughs> although we had to pay for our food and I'm pretty sure back in the day Jesus wasn't charging but anyway they, we went in and it was cheeseburgers also it wasn't fish and we um, I remember two of my little sisters happened to be at this thing and they were they were at the front of this queue and I was there with my mate Paddy and I said oh Paddy let's just push in and uh, Paddy was like, no, mate, no, we can't do that. So we went to the back of the queue, and I remember standing there at the back of the queue, and Mike Pilavacci, who you may well uh, have heard speak at something sometime, he's, uh, he's a great Christian speaker, and I didn't really know who he was because I was not in Christian land. And he came and stood next to me, and um, he uh, just talked to Paddy, my mate Paddy, about Man United. And then, um, and then I got my burger and I was just walking off. And at that moment, he just sort of stopped me and he said, oh, hey, um, he didn't know who I was. He was like, hey, little man, 
how you doing? And I was like, I'm doing fine. And he said, I just feel like God has told me that I'm to pray for you. Would that be okay? And I said, sure. And anyway, he ended up praying for me. And then he said at the end of that, he said, I just would love to keep in touch with you if that would be all right. So I said, okay, that's fine. And, uh, and then uh, we kept in touch after that. And uh, I basically spoke to him on the phone a couple of times. And then he ended up uh, inviting me to come and do an internship with him in Watford. And so I moved down to Watford and I became his intern, which meant I travelled around with, with him everywhere he, he went. Um, and uh, he spoke and I just hung around. And, uh, and, and, he, and in that year that I was, I was doing this year with Mike, God really softened me through the power of his Holy Spirit. I began to see that the Spirit does things today. I didn't realise that was the case up until that stage. I really didn't know hardly anything at all. Mike told me uh, about two or three years later, for the, for, for the first six months I was his intern, he didn't think I knew enough to be a Christian. And... <laughs> I don't know if that's theologically possible, but I, I, and, and he, I was such a baby. And what happened is gradually I began to grow. And gradually now I look back, I see my life and I think all these things that God was doing, that's incredible, Lord. And um, I suppose the reason I'm telling you that story is a little bit, when, when I was in it, when I was, in the, when I was at the dinner queue... I didn't realise that that was a significant moment in my life. I just thought some random Christian bloke wanted to pray for me, and fair enough. Uh, And there'd be many, many other times along the way where I hadn't realised that there were significant moments. It's only now, when I look back, with the benefit of hindsight, that I see, oh my word, that was you. And if we're going to be talking this afternoon about the new move of God, which is the title that uh, Jenny asked me to speak on, the new move of God is hard to spot. Uh, we can see the move of God as in the last 20 years, as I know you were celebrating and partying last night, the 20, last 20 years of what God has been doing among you and through you. But what's the next 20 years got? Actually, it's recognising that more often than not, it's small, ordinary things that we will look back and we'll say, flip, that was you all along, Lord. I had no idea. And... Um, And so part of the challenge of trying to figure out what do the next 20 years hold for us is we need to to grow more than ever in the gift of discernment and understanding how to see what the Lord is up to. And A.W. Tozer, uh, there's this quote that uh, that has always haunted me ever since I read it. And he said, God um, God does his work by the operation of the Spirit, while Christian leaders attempt to do theirs by the power of the trained intellect. Bright personality has taken the place of divine presence. Everything that people do in their own strength and by means of their own abilities is done for time alone. The quality of eternity is not in it. Only what is done through the eternal spirit will abide eternally. All else is wood, hay, stubble. It is a solemn thought that some of us who fancy ourselves to be important evangelical leaders may find at the last we have been but busy harvesters of stubble. <laughs> Freaks you out a bit that, doesn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, it's that thing of, okay, well, well what are we doing that's going to have a quality of eternity about it? What, and and he's, he's referencing, he doesn't do it there, but it's from when Paul talks about only things that are built on Jesus Christ. Uh, are things that are built to last. And um, I suppose as we try and figure out, okay, well, what's the new move of God? And what is God calling us to as a group for the next 5, 10, 20 years? Um, part, part of the place that that begins is understanding what the challenges are 
at the moment. And I want to talk a little bit about us, how do we pass the baton on, how do we raise people up, um, how do we grow ourselves. But really it begins also with what are the challenges that we are finding in our culture. And although Jenny said very kindly, um, feel like Solswire has a lot to teach, we, we honestly at the moment feel like we have more questions uh, than answers. So I might raise some questions and then you can tell me what you think the answer is afterwards. Um, because we're finding that, uh, I don't know about you, but the culture is moving so fast at the moment. It's like, what the heck has just happened, even in the last five years? And so we're finding with young people in 20s and 30s, uh, um, there is such, we have got a fight on to, to figure out how do we reach them and how do we relate to them and how do we draw them in. And partly that's because of what's been going on in our culture and, and the speed with which it has been changing. And um, uh, often I find that I assume I understand the culture because I live in it. But that I've discovered is like assuming you understand longshore drift if you live by the sea. Um, we need to, you know, it's about taking time to understand what's really going on, what are the currents beneath it. And in a nutshell, we know that uh, we would use that word postmodern to describe our culture. What does that mean? Uh, wh what it means basically is that there's no sense of an objective standard for truth. So it basically means you can have your truth and I'll have my truth. And as long as you don't tell me that your truth is the truth, then we can get on fine. Uh, but if you start saying yours is the universal truth, then we have an issue. And so what that leads us to is this, this because it's the basis of postmodernity is there's no such thing as objective truth. It leads us to naturally towards, well, if I'm going to form who I am, I have to do it by myself. I have to choose to do it and I have to carve out an identity for myself in the world. And um, one of the best, I never really understood this whole thing about postmodernity until someone explained it to me by talking about films. And they said it's the difference between... Um, Modernity and postmodernity is basically the difference between James Bond and Jason Bourne. And I don't know if you've seen either of those, but James Bond, the classic old school James Bond, yeah? Not, not before Daniel Craig came along, uh, where Pierce Brosnan and all those other guys, that, that's, that's modern time. So that's, everything's very certain. Who are you? Bond, James Bond, that's who I am. And everything is like, you know, I know where I am, I know who the enemy is, I'm, you know, all of that. Jason Bourne, which was a trilogy series that came out a few years ago, the first one is called The Bourne Identity. And the whole thing about Jason Bourne is he doesn't know who he is. So he's spending all of his time trying to figure out who he actually is. And actually what we've seen now, again, you see it with James Bond, is the reinvention of this certain character to now being Daniel Craig, who on the one hand looks like he could actually have somebody, which Percy Brosnan never did. But then also the thing with Daniel Craig, he didn't, did he? But also the thing with Daniel Craig is if you've seen the films, and even if you haven't, to understand that now Bond, who is like really the archetypal Brit, Bond is now spending half of his time trying to figure out who he is. He doesn't know. He's confused. He's torn. He's got these things that are pulling him in different directions. And he doesn't know who the enemy are either. And what we find now is in our culture for young people from 20s and 30s, they have to spend half their time trying to figure out who they are. And not only that, but that's considered to be a good thing. So it's a positive thing that no one can tell you who you are. Enjoy the fact no one can tell who you are. And then go out and form an identity for yourself. On the basis of whatever you choose with whoever you choose, however you choose. But so long as it's about your choice. What that has led us to is a culture where there are two um, key themes that we are observing as present but also destructive. One is consumerism 
and the other one is individualism. And specifically, we could talk about this for hours, but specifically, I just want to hone in on how that is affecting relationships in our culture. Not just among 20s and 30s and teenagers, but among all of us, because we all live in this goldfish bowl. So we're all swimming in the same water. But it affects them predominantly because they're born into it, and that's the only water they've ever swam in. So um, consumerism, how does that affect relationships? The way that it affects relationships is... way. Um, Back in the day, relationships tended to be more based on duty than on choice. Now, every relationship, the primary thing about it is that it's based on your personal choice. So um, uh, what that leads us towards are relationships that uh, if you want to enter into a relationship, the way that you have to enter into it, and whether this is a friendship or if it's a boyfriend-girlfriend type relationship or a marriage, uh, the way that you enter into it is you have to sell yourself. And uh, you also go looking and shopping for relationships now. So you must have seen the adverts on TV. It's like one minute it's advertising a car, and the next minute it's advertising a dating website. And it's like if you work in uniforms or just like people that do, you can go on this website and you can find yourself someone who works in a uniform and various other things. And, um, and what that is, is that, and there's nothing wrong on the one hand, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with the dating website, but it's just, it's just an interesting phenomenon in the culture that this has become partly how we do relationships. We go shopping for them. And then when we enter into relationships, what happens is we, is we, we basically will stay in that relationship, and I'm not saying that we in this room do it, but I'm saying this is what is the trend. We stay in the relationship so long as it benefits us and so long as the benefits outweigh the costs. Like any consumer, uh, if the costs start to outweigh the benefits, we'll go looking elsewhere. So there's this trend of consumerism. Another trend is this is a trend of what we call individualism, which is now everything is about the individual. And although there are more of us living on this island than we have ever had, we live further apart from each other than we ever have as well. And we live in this world of me, myself and I. And even the names that we give our gadgets, iPhone, iPad, it's all about I. Um, there's, a, there's a girl in uh, one of my cell groups back at church who's in her 20s. And I remember having a conversation with her and I said to her, I haven't seen you for a while. You know, I haven't seen you at church. Is everything all right? And she said, oh, um, I don't like going to church that much. I, I spend uh, time in my room and that's how I do my church. And I said, oh, really? You know, tell me, how, how does that work? And she says, well, what I do is I get up in the morning and I put on a CD from one of my favorite worship bands and I listen to that. And then after that, what I do is I download a talk from one of my favorite Christian speakers and I listen to that. And that's my church. And I remember telling Mike Pilevacci that, and he said he wants to go and headbutt her uh, <laughs> when he finds her. And the reason he said that is because it's like, how can that be church? Like when you've, you know, when you've, when you've listened to your favourite worship band, which no local church will ever match, and when you've heard your favourite Christian speaker, which no local priest will ever match, what do you do then? Like, do you invite your teddies to give their lives to Jesus? <laughs> do, you, do you pray for your dolls that they will be healed? How do you, what is that about? And, but, and yet, that's, just, that's considered normal. This thing of, I'm a unit of one. I'm a unit of one. That's how I exist now. And this thing of the individual as the primary choice. Uh, as, as like, that's, that's, the, that's the sole good. So what that has led us to is a whole load of confusion in relationships. And what it has created is loneliness. 
is created loneliness because people, um, number one, right? Imagine you're in a relationship and the pressure is if you don't sell yourself every single day, the other person's going to walk away. Think about that. The other thing that's going on in the back of every 20-something's mind when they're dating someone is, I could get an upgrade. <laughs> that's what they think. And so that I, I could get, there's this haunting thing at the back of mind, I could be happier with someone else. And it used to be the case in other generations where it's like, well, I've committed to this, so I'm sticking with it, and this is a duty now. But that doesn't exist, that sense doesn't exist anymore. So it's simply, I could get an upgrade. And this is the, what it leads to is it leads to, again, insecurity and loneliness. My brother, who I love dearly, is not a Christian, and he's just broken up last week with his girlfriend of nine years. And his reason, to be honest, is just that he wants, he doesn't have one. He just thinks, oh, maybe it could be better with someone else. So he moves on. There's a guy in our church who was dating someone and he broke up with her. And, um, and again, the question that was put to him, well, why did, well, you know, why did that break down? Why did you end that? And he said, well, I just thought someone better might come along. Um, but what it leads us to and the, the effects of it are this crippling loneliness because young people and 20s and 30s do not know how to relate now. They don't know how to have friendship. They've lost the art of commitment. That's part of the challenge uh, that we are working with as we think, how can we reach them? How can we serve them? How can we help them? So then if we go from that to, well, what can we do? Um, this is where you have to tell us what you think the answer is, because we don't know. And... Um, uh, with all sorts of areas, like for example, the issue of sex and sexuality, we have at Soul Survivor been obviously talking about this for the last 20 years, and uh, particularly when you work with teenagers, sex is something they want to talk about all the time, so uh, you have to do all the talks, and we do all the talks, and Mike talks about chocolate cake that he had a conversation with, and ate, and tries to illustrate that they shouldn't be having sex, and I do all these things that I talk about when I do that, but what we found is it's not working, and for the last five or six years, every time we've talked to teenagers about this issue, we, it, it always comes, it doesn't seem to work, they, they hear it, they nod, they smile, and they go off and do it anyway. And, and so we're trying to figure out, okay, well, what do we do? We need to find a new apologetic for this, but also for many other things about friendship and about marriage and about what it is to have any sort of relationship. And um, we have discovered that just telling them not to do it doesn't work. And what often what we can do is we can just then, oh, that hasn't worked. I'll say it louder next time. I'll say it louder. And we think that if we say the same thing in a slightly different way, then maybe that will work. If those things were persuasive, we wouldn't be in the situation we are now. So we're trying to figure out how can we, how can we change this. And what we're beginning to try and inch our way towards is for us to really reach a generation of lonely teenagers. And believe me, they are chronically lonely. If we are going to reach them, what do we have to offer except the church? And isn't that just the perfect thing to offer a, a, a people in loneliness? Community. What we have to offer them is community. And our challenge is to present an alternative vision for how life can be. So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey to maximise your potential 
to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life as filled with meaning, purpose and joy. So God bless and stay safe.